0: We want to be with you now in this life. We want to enjoy your presence. We want to we want to serve you. We want to bless you, Lord, and we want to live with you forever. And so, Lord, if there's any doubt in anyone's mind today about uh, where they stand with you, uh, this is one of those passages that that make it very clear, Lord, on how we can determine just just where we do stand. And so, Lord, I ask that you open every heart here today. That you you open every mind to hear your word and what you have to say, uh, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Just bless this study today. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Back when Pedro Martinez was in his prime, some of you know who I'm talking about when I talk about Pedro Martinez. He was a great pitcher for the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees. But when he was in his prime, uh, uh, he was he was a lights-out pitcher. And uh, after he... Uh, shut down a a particular team with his pitching, he would taunt them after the game and one of his favorite phrases was, who's your daddy? And what he meant by that, that wasn't a a compliment, what he meant by that who dominated you today? Who had power over you today? And uh, the answer to that rhetorical question was me. In other words "I, I, I had power over you, I was your daddy today. And it's almost as if John ask that same question here today in our text in chapter 3 of 1 John. I mean, it's almost as if he's asking us, who's your daddy? Who has power over you? Who dominates what you do and who you are? And uh, he only gives us two possible answers to that rhetorical question. One is the Lord and one is the devil. You are either a child of the Lord or you're a child of the devil. Now, you'll see, that's the way John puts it. I didn't make that up. So so it sounds pretty harsh and it sounds pretty blunt, but uh, that's what he's going to be asking us today. Who's your daddy? Well, he gives us some clues. If you don't know who your daddy is, if you're not sure who your daddy is, he's going to give us some clues, and he's already given us some clues that make it real clear uh, I'll give you real clear criteria for identifying whether or not you're a child of the devil or you're a child of God. Remember some of those criteria he gave us. First of all, uh, if you're a child of God, you do not love this world. If you love the world, what did John say? The love of the Father is not in you. If the love of the Father is not in you, you're not saved. And if you're not saved, you're a child of the devil. So do you love this world? And by this world, he meant it's part of the world that Antichrist, The part of this world that is against the Lord. And then another criteria he gave is, do you recognize truth? Can you distinguish truth from error? You know, there are a lot of people, you'll see people that will hang around a church for a while and they'll leave and they'll go off into some cult somewhere. And when I hear about somebody doing that, I recognize the fact that there's no way that God could be in them and them do that. Because if you're born again, you have the charisma, you have an anointing, and you know truth when you hear it. You know error when you hear it. So if you can't recognize truth, the truth of God, then then you're, you're not a child of God. The third criteria, and this is an important criteria, we abide in him. If we're a child of God, we abide in Jesus Christ. How do we abide in him? We abide in him in his word. We abide in him through prayer. We abide in him through thanksgiving. And if you're not abiding in him, then you're not a child of God. I mean, you, you, you just think about some of those things and look at your own life. What do you love? Do you love the world? What do you abide in? Do you abide in the world? And we're all in this world, but we're not of this world. But do we abide in the world or do we abide in Christ? And, and if we don't abide in Christ, we don't abide in his word, we're not obedient to his word, we don't read his word, we don't hear his word, then we're not a child of God. We're a child of the devil. And then he gives us this other uh, clue, and he's going he's to develop that today in this text that we're going to be looking at. We, we keep his commandments. He puts it another way. We practice righteousness. I mean, that's, that's if you're a child of God, you're going to be practicing righteousness, not sin. Now, you don't practice righteousness in order to get saved. You practice righteousness because you are saved. You don't keep the commandments to get saved. Here's where a lot of people go wrong. That's legalism. But you keep the commandments because you are saved. And then today he's going to introduce us to one other characteristic of a true born-again Christian, and that is that we have love. We have love, and not just any kind of love, not phileo love, not eros love. He's talking about agape love, divine love, where we love the unlovable, where we love especially the brothers and sisters in Christ. If if you don't like the people in this room, if you hate the people in this room, I got news for you, you're not born again. If you hate someone because of their color or because of their social class or because of uh, what religion they are, if you hate anybody, the love of the Father is not in you, and so you can't be born again. So based upon those criteria that John has given us right here, let me ask you a question. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Do you meet those criteria? Who has power over your life? Who dominates what you are, what you do? Is it the world, yourself, or is it the Lord? If it's the Lord, hey, you're in good shape and you're going to enjoy this message. If, you, if you're not in good shape, you're going to squirm some as we go through this message. That's good. That's John's purpose. He wants you to squirm. John's not here being holier than thou. John's not here being condescending. That's not, that's not his purpose at all. His purpose is to make sure to, 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 so we all can make sure that we're truly children of God and so we we walk with God and we end up with God in heaven. We don't walk with the devil and end up with the devil in hell. That's his purpose here. And it sounds pretty harsh, but, but uh, we want to be sure. And so we want to we look at this. And he's going to develop this some more now as we come to, to chapter number 3, verse number 4. He's going to deal with the two, main, the two main identifying markers of children of God one is you practice righteousness and two is that you have love and he starts out he, he he wants to develop he's already mentioned this but now he's going to develop it a little bit beginning in verse number four so go with, with to first john chapter three and look down in verse number four he says whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness not I don't think you have to be brilliant to figure that out. But it's a pretty profound statement, what John is saying right here. Because you look at, in our society, what do we do with sin? We try to dress sin up. We try to hide sin. But John doesn't mis- mince any words right here. He says that sin is lawlessness. And lawlessness is rebellion against the commandments of God, which makes it rebellion against God. All sin is lawlessness and God hates lawlessness and he will have none of it in his presence. You you know, people that think somehow when we go to heaven, we're going to be free to sin. They're nuts. God is absolutely perfect and his heaven is absolutely perfect. And before he's going to allow us into his heaven, we're going to have to be absolutely perfect. And only he can make us absolutely perfect, but there's good news here. Look at the good news in verse number five. And you know, you who were born again, you know that he, Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. None. Zilch. Zero. Why did Jesus come forth to Bethlehem? What was his main purpose in coming to Bethlehem? So we could celebrate Christmas and put up decorations and, have, and, and give gifts to each other. Was that his main purpose? No, his main purpose was to take away our sins. You remember when the angel came to Joseph and and told him about Jesus, the son that that, uh, Mary was carrying? Remember what he said? He said, she shall bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. How can Jesus Jesus save us from our sins? Well, first of all, he's God in the flesh. And second of all, there is no sin in him. Look at what John says. And in him, there is no sin. Jesus has never sinned. Jesus didn't sin before he came to this earth. He didn't sin one single time when he was on this earth. And I got news for you. He hasn't sinned one single time since he's left to go to glory. And he will never sin. There is no sin in him. But here's what I want you to see. Look at what he says. He was manifested to pay for our sins. Is that what it says? Let me ask you a question. Was he manifested to pay for our sins? Certainly. He is the propitiation for our sins. We talk about that big word propitiation all the time. But it was his blood that was the propitiation for our sins. But John, John says something more here. He's not just the propitiation for our sins. Now, that's where a lot of people get this gospel all wrong. They think somehow that Jesus came just to pay for my sins and now, you know, I'm have all this liberty, I'm free to do whatever I want. Well, you are free to do whatever you want, but what you want to do if you're a born again believer is to do righteousness. You don't want to sin. And Jesus came to take away our sins, to put our sins away. He came to be more than just the propitiation for sin. He came to give us the Holy Spirit so that we have power over sin. Now, it would make sense. Stop and think about this. This is the point John's making. It would make sense if Jesus, who is God, came to take away our sins, to get our sins out of our life, and sin's still in our life. There's something wrong with that picture. Because God gets what he wants. And if God is in me, he's going to get what he wants. He's not going to, he's not going to, He's not going to make me a Christian and give me his spirit if I'm not willing to get rid of my sin. People miss the point of, of who Jesus is. Jesus came to get rid of our sin. And if you don't want to get rid of your sin, you can't be born again. And so when you're ready to get rid of your sin, when you're sick of your sin, Jesus comes into your heart, and he doesn't just pay for your sins, past, present. He's not just going to glorify you and make you perfect in heaven. He wants to deal with your sin now. And if you're a born-again believer, i got news for you. He's dealing with your sin now. I'll tell you what, he deals with my sin. He doesn't put up with much of my sin. I don't know about you. And if you're sinning and getting away with it, I, he's not there. He's not there because his whole purpose, he was manifested To take away our sin. That's listen what he says in verse number six. It says basically the same thing. He makes the same case. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. If he came to manifest, if he was manifested to take away our sins, and we're continuing in sin. I got news for you. We don't know him. We don't know him. People who call themselves Christians and continue in their sins, they don't know the Lord. They don't know him. I mean, He. what does it mean to abide in him again? It means to abide in his word. It means to, 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 to walk with him and talk with him, to, to live with him in praise and thanksgiving. Uh, to to be in constant prayer with the Lord. I mean, He's your fellow companion. He's Christ in you, and so you're walking with Him all the time. And if you abide in Him, and He's perfect and sinless, and He's there to take away sin, then whoever sins doesn't. He's not really there. They don't know Him, nor have they seen Him. Now, remember what I said last white last week. As a Christian. You can drift away from the Lord. I mean, sometimes we don't abide in Him like we should. And if you're not abiding, what are you doing? You're drifting. And and when we drift, you know what we're drifting to? When you drift away from the Lord, I guarantee you, if if you're a Christian and you've fallen into sin, here's the reason. You have have drifted away from the Lord. You're not abiding in the Lord. Because if you're close to the Lord and He's sinless and He hates sin and He's doing away with sin, then you've got a problem. But here's the difference between a Christian and a non-believer. If you're a Christian and you're drifting away from the Lord, can the Lord get you back? Yeah, heck, here's a big stick, a big loving stick, and he can get you back. You know, John will tell us in chapter 5, you know what, there is a sin unto death. If God is disciplining you and trying to get you to give up your sin and you just refuse to give up your sin, there's a sin unto death. There's a point where God says, hey, I'm going to take you out of here in order to... You're going to lose your flesh, but in order to save your soul, I'm going to get you out of here. But a non-believer, someone who calls himself a Christian, they continue right on in sin. and They don't really care that they're sinning. It doesn't even bother them that they're sinning. And you can call yourself a Christian until you're blue in the face, but if you're practicing sin, Christ is not in you. He can't be in you. You're not abiding in Christ. So when you see these people that call themselves Christians and they're living in sin, hey, man, you need to tell them That's not, there's something wrong here. You need to read 1 John chapter 3. There's something wrong in your life, bad wrong in your life. Little children, he says in verse number 7, let no one deceive you. You don't want to be deceived. He who practices righteousness is righteousness. And just as Jesus is righteous. He who sins, now watch this, is of who? The devil. I mean, we all sin at times. But if you practice sin, you're not a child of God. You're of the devil. Now, don't get mad at me. I'm reading this right out of the Bible. Not not many people are going to read that to you, but I'm going to read it to you. You're of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the very beginning. Since he fell, since he rebelled against God, he has sinned. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, to do away with the works that he might destroy the works of the devil. So if you're still living like the devil, Christ is not in you. That's what he's saying right there. And you can call yourself a Christian until you're blue in the face, but if you're still living like the devil, you're of the devil. You're not of Christ. And Christ is not your your daddy. The devil's your daddy. And he develops this even further in verse number 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, not at one iota. Do you know that the new nature in you when you're born again cannot sin? That's why there's this battle going on between your flesh and your spirit. When you're given, if you've got no battle, you're not saved. I'm not saying that again to condemn you. But there's a battle because the flesh does not get redeemed in this life. It never gets redeemed. And your mind does not get redeemed. All those things I did before I got saved for those 40 years, right there in my mind. They pop up in my dreams. They pop up in my attitude sometimes. They pop up all the time. But my new nature says, that's not right. That's wrong. And I hear my new nature. My new nature speaks to me because it is sinless. It says, what are you doing this for, George? It's Christ in me, that new nature. Why are you doing this? This is not you. Because that seed, that new seed, the divine seed that's been placed in me cannot sin. It's divine. Deity does not sin. God does not sin. Jesus, in him, there is no sin. No sin. And that's why you have this battle between the spirit and between the flesh. Now, when he says we have a divine seed, we have this new seed. What do the seeds imply? When you take a seed, what do you do? You plant that seed in the ground. You plant that seed in the ground and a plant pops up and it's watered and it's fertilized and the sun comes down on the plant and it, the plant grows and it bears fruit. You see the picture he's giving us right there? We're, the seed of God's been planted in our soul. And when we water that with the word of God, when we fertilize it with the spirit of God, and we live in the light of the sun, S-O-N, the son of God, then our spirit begins to grow. The divine nature grows and overcomes the flesh. And we become this plant that bears fruit. Out of us come these living waters because we're bearing fruit. And if we're not bearing fruit, something's wrong there. We're not watering that seed. We're not fertilizing that seed. We're not walking in the spirit. We're not living and abiding in Christ in the light of the sun. And so we're not, Where the plants not growing and we're not bearing any fruit. But I got to, I got to warn you here. If there's no fruit, you better make sure there's a seed there. You mean, now some people got some pretty weak looking plants. You know, my plant isn't so strong itself. And so maybe we don't bear as much fruit as others. But there's something, but, but when, we're, when we got a raggedy old desert-looking tumbleweed for a plant, there might be something wrong with the seed. And so we want to look at the seed because seed implies growth. And if there's no growth, then that, there's something wrong. Now, does that mean we've got to be perfect? No, you're not going to be perfect. Because again, that divine seed has changed your nature. It hasn't changed your flesh. And you won't be perfect until your nature and your flesh are changed in glory. When you see him, you will be like him. All right, then in verse number 10, and he's going to add now uh, another criteria here, but he's going to hit you one more time with the first major criteria, being a child of God. He says, in this, The children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. What are the options? What about the in-between guys? There is no in-between. He says, in this, you're either the children of God or you're the children of the devil. You're one of the two. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. So who are they of? They're of the devil, nor is he who does not love his brother. I got news for you. If, you hate some, if you're a racist, you're not of God. If you hate someone because of they, they're not in the same uh, social status that you're in, you're not of God. If you hate someone because they're a Baptist and you're a Calvary Chapelite, then you're not of God. If you hate someone because they're a Muslim, that's okay. No, that's not okay either. And that's where it gets tough. It's where it really gets tough. So look there in that verse. He gives us the two main identifying marks of a child of God, and we want to make sure we're children of God. We practice righteousness. Not perfect, but we practice righteousness. And then he has this new one here. We have love. We have what kind of love? Agape love. And there's no in-between. You know, someone at this point might say, well, wait a minute now. I don't agree with that. Uh, uh, where do I fit in here? Because I'm not a Christian, but I'm certainly not a child of the devil. Well, I got news for you. If you're not a Christian, you are a child of the devil. And I don't say that again to put you down, because how many of you were children of devil at one time in your life? How many of you still are? Don't, well, don't raise it. I was trying to make a trick question out of that, and I didn't do it right. Jesus said it like this, you're either for me or you're against me. You're either of Christ or you're antichrist. You're either on my side or you're on the devil's side. You're either a Christian or you're you're antichrist. You're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. And again, that sounds pretty harsh and judgmental. And if you're here today, again, you're, You're not born again. I'm not picking on you. Because, man, you talk about a child of the devil. I lived for the devil's glory for 40 years of my life, so I know what it's like. Until you reach the end of that rope, and you just get tired of that life, and you realize that it's destructive. It's not only destroying you, it's destroying everyone around you. You say, I want to give that up. And when you give that up and you let go of that rope and you fall in the arms of Christ, then you become a child of God. And that's what you want to be. He says, he says in verse number 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. When was the beginning? What's the beginning he's talking about here? He's talking about way back when Adam and Eve were put on this earth. The message God gave them from the very beginning was that you are to love one another. You don't see it there in the text, but I'm sure he told them that. That's what he put in their heart before they fell. They did love one another with unselfish love. Uh, But some scholars would say, no, that's not the beginning. The beginning was when Jesus gave that new commandment. Remember when Jesus said, a new commandment I give you? And what did he say? That you love one another. So that could be the beginning. And then, you know, I would make the case that the beginning is when we get saved. It's given, that commandment is given to us. We can only understand that commandment when we're truly saved. And let me explain why I believe that way. Because what kind of love is this? Is he talking about eros love, this love that you have for, for, for your spouse or for your lover, you know, this, this sexual love? Is that is that what he's talking about? No. Is he talking about or love you have for hamburgers? You know, I love McDonald's or I love... Uh, uh, Burger King, whichever is your choice. I don't love either one of those, but, but uh, uh, that's Eros love. And then there's Phileo love. A lot of people have Phileo love. That's brotherly love. Well, you kind, you know, you, you, you live with your neighbor pretty good. You, you say hi to your neighbor. Uh, you, you, you treat people pretty good. That's, that's Phileo love. But that's not the love he's talking about either. He's talking about a agape love. What kind of love is that? That is selfless love. That is divine love. How can you get divine love if the divine doesn't inhabit you? You can't have it. You don't even know what it is. People don't understand agape love until they're truly born again. You must be born again in order to have agape love. So for us, the beginning was of agape love was when we were saved. If you're un- unregenerated, then you can't love with agape love. It's when, you're, when God saves you and changes your heart, that's when you understand what it means to have agape love. Do we always love, do Christians always love with agape love? No, but we understand what it means. We know that we need to be a lot less selfish and a lot more giving, and a lot more kind, and a lot more forgiving. We didn't know that before we were born again. Before we were born again, even our charitable acts towards others were, were rooted in self-centeredness. We did them so we could be seen, or we did them so we could feel good about ourselves, or we did them so, so uh, we could get something in return. But once we were born again, we understood what, what the joy of giving. We understood what it was to be kind to others, to be merciful to others, to be forgiving to others. Look, if you're in this room today, and you call yourself a Christian, you're holding a grudge against somebody, and you've been holding it for years, I'll tell you right now, you're not born again. You can't do that and be born again. You can try to do it, but your heart can't do it. Your heart can't be in it because you have the heart of Christ. You've been regenerated. You've been changed. You're a new creation. All all those old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And the newness that's in you is a kind heart, a forgiving heart, a merciful heart. If you show no mercy to people, you're not saved. If you show no kindness to people, you're not saved. If you're unforgiving, you're not saved. Even the Lord's Prayer. We're to ask for forgiveness as we forgive others. That was the point Christ was making in the Lord's Prayer. If you can't forgive others, you might as well not be praying to God. You might not well be asking for forgiveness. But when you ask for forgiveness for yourself, your heart is changed. You're given a new heart. And that new heart is a forgiving, kind, merciful heart. You've been totally changed. And if you're not changed, I'll tell you who you are like. You can be as religious as you want. You can dress up as nice as me and Don. Don's trying to outdo me today. But he's, I think he might have. He's the only one I want you to know that's gotten the point I've been trying to make to all you guys. Shows you how much influence I have. At least I have some influence over Don. I'm just playing. You don't have to wear a tie to be saved. That's not in the criteria. But let me tell you 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 like. A real, a real, it's a real strange guy because he actually if on the surface, a lot of people say he did better than his brother. You're like Cain. You remember Cain? You remember Cain? You know, there's some characters in the Bible we all need to study from time to time. Saul, Judas, Hophni, Phineas, Cain. You know, because there's a little, of all, a little of those guys in all of us. And so sometimes, you know, it's it's a good thing to study them. And Cain's one of them. Look at verse number 12. Listen to what he says. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one. Who was his daddy? The devil. He was of the wicked one. And he murdered his brother. Look, the whole point here is not about him murdering his brother. I don't want you to miss the point. That's not a good thing to do to murder your brother. But, But that's not the big sin that Cain had. Look at what he says. And he murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Here's what you want to see. See, it's not the murder that made Cain of the wicked one. He murdered him because his works were evil. They were of who? The wicked one. They weren't of God. His works were evil. Now, you got to go back to the story of Cain. You remember the story of Cain. You remember God received offerings from Cain and Abel. And Cain brought an offering. And man, I got to tell you, he brought the best of his crops. You know how hard it is, if any of you ever had a garden, you know how hard it is to produce crops? What's harder, to produce crops or to kill a little lamb? I'll tell you what, it takes a lot more effort to to produce those crops. And he worked hard. on his farm. He worked day and night. And when the harvest came in, he took the very best of his crops and he took them to the Lord and he offered them to the Lord. And the Lord said, I don't accept that. That's a wicked, evil act you just did. Abel took the firstborn of his flock and he slaughtered the lamb and he gave it unto the Lord me that didn't take long he didn't bear that lamb he fed the lamb a little bit but he had plenty of lambs so he takes the firstborn of this lamb and he gives it to the lord and that the lord accepts his offering and calls it good why did he, why, what's the difference see what Cain was doing Cain was making an offering that wasn't prescribed by god it wasn't an offering of faith it was an offering of works now, you got to be real careful with this. You try to offer up the Lord your religion or your sacraments or your works or any of that kind of stuff, that's not of the Lord. You can't make a sacrifice acceptable to the Lord other than a blood sacrifice. That is the only sacrifice that's acceptable to the Lord. And how do you make that You make that by faith. Now, Abel had to have a lot of faith because you think back when Abel was living, he was living some 6,000 years ago. And so he was making a faith offering based upon something that was going to happen 4,000 years later when Jesus was sacrificed on that cross. But that was the offering that God had prescribed. You don't get to pick how you come to God. You don't get to pick and choose. The way you make a sacrifice to God, there is only one name under heaven whereby man can be saved. And that is the name of Jesus Christ. And it's only the blood of Jesus Christ that can save you. And any other way is wicked. It's of the devil. I don't care how religious it looks. God does not accept our religious works. He doesn't want our religious works. He only accepts one thing, and that is faith and that Sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on that cross. Faith in that blood that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And that's it. And, and you might give him everything you have monetarily. You might give him every bit of your time. You might go up and become a, a, a priest up in a monastery somewhere and spend the rest of your life praying. But it's not doing you a bit of good if you're not covered in the blood. If That's not the main sacrifice that you're looking to by faith. And so, man, that's pretty harsh. But, but uh, the truth of the matter, who was, who was Cain's daddy? The devil. Who was Abel's daddy? God the Father, Jehovah God. And so when Cain's offering was rejected by the Lord, he got ticked. He got ticked. He got ticked at Abel. And he went and killed Abel. But who was he really ticked at? He was ticked at the Lord. He was jealous. He was jealous. He was jealous because he thought he was pleasing to the Lord by his works. You get that point there? God's not pleased with your works, not your works that bring you, that you think bring you into a relationship with him. He's pleased with one work as far as salvation goes, and that's the work of his son. Now, he certainly is pleased with your work that you do after you're saved in service to him, in love to him. That's a good thing. But to work in order to be saved, to come to God in any other manner other than the way he prescribed, is of the wicked one. And that makes you a child of the devil if that's the way you come to the Lord. Now, again, we all were children of the devil. And all you got to do to switch that is come to the Lord the way he prescribes and believe on his son. Now, you know what? What we're teaching right here today is not popular in this world. It's not going to win you any popularity contest. If you, if you believe this and you teach this, it's, it's not, look at verse number 13. The world doesn't like it. Do not marvel, my brethren. Now he's speaking not just to little children who might be saved or not might not be saved. He's speaking to those of you who are born again. Don't be surprised. Don't marvel if the world hates you. In fact, you want one of the distinguishing characteristics of a true born-again believer: the world will not like you. Because, for the most part, who's the world's daddy? The devil. Who's your daddy? Christ. They hate Christ. They hate the Father. They hate him. They might say, make token words toward God, but you name the name of Jesus in this society, and people hate that name. They hate it. And if you're living for Christ, if you're a witness of Christ, I got news for you, they're going to hate you. Jesus said, you know, if they persecuted me, don't be surprised. If they persecute you, in fact, be surprised if they don't, there's something wrong. So if, if, if you don't face, ever face any persecution, you might not be a child of, of Christ. Now, gratefully, you know, thankfully we live in a, a country, at least now, where we can share the gospel and, and, and uh, uh be a witness in this world. But man, that's changing fast. Changing really fast. I tell you, you know, I remember when I was in the military, you know, chaplains were were looked up to and most of the chaplains were godly, born-again believers, but now you're a born-again believer in the military, you're going to face persecution if you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you stand on what this Bible says about certain things, about certain sins, you're going to get kicked out of the military. So don't be surprised, though, because the world hated Christ. It's going to hate you. And then he finishes up in verses 14 and 15, and he says, we know that we have passed from death to life. Hey, you want the sure way of knowing that you're a born-again believer, that you've passed already from death to life. You know what Jesus said? Whosoever believes in me shall never die. If you meet this criteria, do you realize that you will never die? You can be sure that you've passed from death to life if you love the brethren, if you love your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and really to some degree, you love every person in this world. You know that you've passed from death to life. Now we're going to talk about this Agape love a little bit more next week. And, and and it's not mushy just oh I just love anything everybody anything everybody does. That's not what Agape love is. But there is this sense of mercy and kindness and goodness towards others. If your heart's like that towards people even though it's your flesh isn't, you know you've passed from death to life. You're going to live forever. If you still harbor hate toward people because of their race, because of their gender, because of their, and I'm talking about male and female here, because of their, because of their, again, their social status or any of these their age or whatever, then are you're you holding unforgiveness towards others, then maybe you haven't passed from death to life. You know. You know what? I... I I'm not the most loving guy in the world. I mean, I don't exercise love like maybe I should, but boy, I know the difference between the way I was before I was saved and the way I am now. And there is a big difference. There's a big difference. And you know that if you love the brethren. He who does not love the brother abides in death. Who's your daddy if you, if you, if you love the brother? Christ is your daddy. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way you can have life is to abide in Christ. If you're abiding in hate and unforgiveness and meanness then, and bitterness and all of those things, then against other people, then, hey, that's not Christ. So it's not Christ abiding in you. It's the devil abiding in you. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You get that? You hate your brother. It doesn't say you kill your brother. Cain was a murderer before he killed Abel. He murdered God in his heart. If he could have killed God, he would have killed God. But he could only kill Abel. And when your heart's that wicked, you know it's not a heart of God. It's the heart of the devil. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you have heard it said of old that You shall not murder, and whoever murders is in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without cause has already committed murder in their heart. They're a murderer. And if you're a murderer, murderers aren't going to heaven. If you're still a murderer, murderers, there are murderers who have been saved who will go to heaven. But if your heart is still a murderer's heart, you're not going to go to heaven. You're not going to make it because you haven't passed from, from death to life. So, who's your daddy? Jehovah God or the devil himself? You know, I think just about, you ask that question to just about anybody in this church, <laughs> Jehovah God. I think if you ask that question to about, to about anybody in America, a lot of people don't even know who Jehovah is, but if you ask them who's your father, God or the devil, did all say God. Almost all would say God. In fact, there was a recent poll that came out. These polls, you know, we learned about polls in the presidential election, so you can't take, put too much uh, credence in polls, but... but uh, there was a recent poll that came out, a Gallup poll that I saw the other day that said that 77% of Americans, that went from 60% I saw about two months ago, but 77% of Americans claim to be Christians. 77% of Americans. Now, I'm looking at these criteria that John gives right here for children of God, and I've got to believe that percentage is way, way too high. I don't believe that 77% of Americans abide in Christ. I don't believe that 77% of Americans practice righteousness. I don't believe that 77% of Americans practice agape love. I just don't, I don't see that in our society. I'm not their judge, but I don't see it. But if you were to take a poll and ask Americans, how many of you believe believe that the devil is your daddy? I believe that percentage would be probably less than 1%. But if John is right, and he is, then I would say the percentage of people in America whose daddy is the devil is higher than the 77% who say they're Christian. I would say at least 77% of Americans serve the devil, unwittingly. Don't get me wrong. Just like I served the devil before I was saved. I mean, how many Americans do you know that are abiding in the word? Even ever read the word? Even know what Leviticus is. How many people are thankful, really thankful to God? How many people put things aside this past Thanksgiving and really thank the Lord? Shame on us if we don't do that every day. Forget Thanksgiving. We don't need a day to thank the Lord. I mean, I'm thankful to the Lord 24 hours a day. What about you? i thankful for so many great things he does for us, especially our country. I mean, how many people in this world, just look at what's going on in this world, all the, just look at the political election. How much agape love did you see in that? None. None. We're a selfish society, and and I, I just don't see that we're a society that practices biblical righteousness. And John says, if you don't practice righteousness... This is how the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. You're one or the other. You don't practice righteousness if you don't abide in Christ, if you don't love others, and there's those other criteria too. If you don't do those things, your father, your daddy is the devil. It's as simple as that. Well, man, how do you fix it? How do do you fix it if you're a child of the devil? Well, let me tell you what, this isn't the way you fix it. You don't fix it through your good works. Cain tried that. You don't fix it by practicing righteousness. Now, wait a minute. You just said if if you're a child of the devil, if you you don't practice righteousness. Well, you can't practice righteousness the way God wants you to practice righteousness. You can't do it. You can't. Fix it by showing love, because the only kind of love you can show if you're a child of the devil is Eros, love, and Philo. So there's no way out of the hole. There's no way you can fix it. None. But Jesus can. Jesus can. You know what you need? You need to get adopted. You need to get adopted by the Father. To as many As believed on Jesus Christ, to them he gave power to become sons and daughters of God. Hey, he'll take a child of the devil any day. He's took a bunch of us, hadn't he? As Paul says, having believed, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. And having been sealed with the Holy Spirit of the God, you've been changed from a child of the devil to the child of the Father. For how long? Forever. Sealed. When God puts a seal on something, he never takes it off. You've been sealed forever. So, take the test. If you're here today and You don't know the Lord? Yeah, you're a child of the devil. The Lord wants to make you his own child. You just give your heart to him. Not through your religious works, not through anything, but just believing on Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the work that you've done through Jesus Christ. Lord, how you've given us the grace to practice righteousness, Lord. To abide in you, to walk with you, to understand your word, to hear your word, to pray without ceasing. All of these great things that you've given to us through through your spirit and through Christ. Father, you've given us even the ability to love others. Father, if we don't anyone, if there's anyone here who doesn't meet these criteria, Lord, I ask you today, help them to get serious about their relationship with you. Because they don't want to be spending eternity with the devil. They want to be spending eternity with you. Lord, we thank you that those of us who have received Christ have passed from death to life, to everlasting life. What a great gift. What a great thing to be thankful for this Thanksgiving, Lord. We just thank you for your blood. We thank you for our Savior. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.